Does anybody work in an environment like that at all? No, that's only on television. Any office fans in here this morning? Couple. Um, today we are talking about the office. We're concluding our daily grind series, which we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, with a look at our work lives. You know, work is something that we spend so much time on every week. We spend so much time at our jobs or at our work. We spend so much time commuting to and from our work. Um, I sent out just a a Twitter and Facebook request this week and said, hey, describe for me some things that uh, about your work lives that that make it more difficult to live for God or more difficult to find, you know, happiness in life. And some of the responses had to do with the just the time spent on the job. Somebody, I think, responded and said, you know, like the 60, 70 plus hour work weeks some weeks. And, and I know some of you have, have been talking about that recently. Just, just seasons of work where you're just, you're just overworked. And it doesn't necessarily mean more money for you. You talk about maybe transfers that require you now to, to be in your car for hours on end. You, you, just, you don't even get credit for that. You're just in your car getting to the place where you start getting credit. And so the idea being that, that work is a big part of our, our lives. But in this current economy, or depending on which... Uh, candidate you listen to, the new economy that we have now, we also understand that unemployment or underemployment is a big deal. I think the latest statistics tell us that just in our area of North Georgia, the statistics for unemployment, even though in the nation they're they're varying by state and going down in some areas, that in North Georgia, I think it's like 9.2% unemployment. And so we have this understanding that there are people looking for work. There are people that are worried that even though they have a job, that as their company maybe is impacted by the economy, that their job may be one that is cut or or decreased, and that may impact them. We have people who maybe lost a job or or were afraid that they were going to lose a job, so they got another job, but now they're they're underemployed in that job because it's not really all of the money or the benefits or the resources that they need to provide for themselves or for their family. And so when we look at work, when we look at our lives at work, There's an understanding that this is a big part of who we are. It's a big part of our identity. And so today we're going to continue in this series where we've been kind of walking through and getting to to the end of the book of Ephesians, which we've been tracking in all year. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Ephesus. And we've just been tracking through this book all year long in various stages. And so the last few weeks we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 5. And last week, Pastor Mark took us into Ephesians chapter 6 to talk to us about parenting. And so today we're going to begin reading in in chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And we're going to read a couple verses here together, and then we're going to talk. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. If you've got a Bible, if not, it'll be up on the screens for you. This is what it says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and respect and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Verse 9, and masters treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, you have to understand, when we use the word slave and master... I don't know where your mind goes, but my mind immediately goes to the context of slavery, not too far back in our American history. 
And so we had this, this image and this idea and, and the, the, the reality during that, that time of our history of slaves. And, and you had people that were serving these masters on plantations and in various roles in, in their lives. This is not what we're describing here. We're describing as Paul is writing to people in the city of Ephesus, the understanding where he says in verse 6, but as slaves of Christ, this would be to help them understand the correlation to those that were slaves of Caesar. And these were not people that were looked down upon. These were people that were really kind of given high credibility within that, that part of society and that part of culture because they were serving the highest being in the land there in, in Rome. And so these, that being a slave of Christ would, would help those people connect the dots to those that were held in high regard, those that did a service for someone in power or authority. So as we look through these passages, I don't want you to think slaves as in the mindset of maybe where we, we look in our history in the United States, but understanding that there was a system. Now, it was abused and misused on both sides of the equation. But for our purposes, I want us to look at this idea where we see the word slave. I want you just to think employee. I want you to think someone who performs a, a service for the good of someone in authority over them or for a company or for some entity. When you see the word master, I'm not talking about somebody that, that's just, you know, a, a master of slaves who are not paid. Though some of you may feel like you have those on your job. I'm talking about employers. I'm talking about bosses and supervisors and those who oversee a workforce of some kind. So I want us to look real quick back in verse 5. And start talking about those of us who work for someone. Those of us who are employees to someone or to some company. This is what it says in verse 5. Slaves, employees, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now, two weeks ago, my wife, Corey, and I talked about marriage. We kicked this series off of the Daily Grind talking about marriage. And there is an idea in that message... And in the passage there in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, that says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And she did an incredible job of talking about how, you know, when wives hear that as it relates to their relationship with her husband, sometimes that causes, you know, wives to kind of bristle at the idea, I'm supposed to submit to this man. I, I thought we were equal and, and we're working for equal rights and all. And, and, and the idea of submitting to a husband may seem a little out of context. There's the, further, it says to the husbands, you're to love your wives. And it's this deeper abiding love for them, not just, oh, I love you. But there's a deep, meaningful uh, engagement there of the love that we have for our wives. And all of that would be fine. And we would continue to wrestle with that and what that means and what a submitted relationship looks like in marriage. If we didn't have verse 21 in Ephesians 5, and we referenced that, this is not going to be on the screen, but this is what it says in Ephesians 5, 21, before we ever got to husbands and wives. This is how that verse ends. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so I don't want to re-preach that message, but the idea being that I should not have any trouble for as a wife submitting to a husband, as a husband mutually submitting, respecting, loving, caring for my wife, because the lowest common denominator of a relationship with Jesus Christ is that out of that reverence for Christ, I am to submit to everyone. I'm su supposed to submit to and defer to everyone in that relationship that I have with them. And so when we look as employees at this idea of slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. It's a similar kind of parallel idea here. This is not the idea that my boss, then my employer, my company, those that they put over me as a supervisor is better than me and should look down on me and treat me unfairly. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. 
But this is the idea that as I obey them, I'm actually modeling and exhibiting for those that can see my obedience or level of obedience to Christ. I'll sum it up this way. The way that I work reflects the way that I live. The way that I work reflects the way that I live. And so here's what I would say to you, because some of you may, that may be still be an idea that you're, you're wrestling with a little bit. Here's what that would look like. If on your job, whatever role that is, and for the purposes of today, I mean, whatever it is that you spend your time working on for the sake of something larger, not just necessarily a hobby, but for the sake of something larger, this would include, you know, those that are self-employed, those that are small business owners, those that are, are employees in an, in a company or corporation, I would include in this stay at home moms because you're, you're running the house that you have. So in your job, in the things that you put your hands to for the sake of something larger than you, if you are someone who is constantly trying to cut corners, constantly trying to maybe fudge the books to make it benefit you to a greater degree, constantly trying to come up with a way that allows you to do less work, not, not working smarter or working efficiently, but not really doing what you're required to do, doing less work, but getting away with it because of the perception of what you're doing. If you're doing those things, if you're not obedient, if you don't do the things that are asked of you, I would say that that is not just an issue on your job. I don't want to read your mail this morning. But I know in my life, if I'm doing those things on my job, it's actually a reflection of a larger heart issue that affects every other part of my life. Because if I'm doing those things on my job, what that probably reflects to those around me that may see that in me is that in other areas of my life, I would try to manipulate to gain an advantage. I would try to do as little as possible and make others carry a heavier load because I think that I deserve that or I don't want to put my effort into that endeavor. I would want to be dishonest in some way, again, that would benefit me. Not because there's a direct correlation, but I do believe that because the way we work reflects the way we live. How you work on your job Monday through Friday or whatever hours that you put your hands to something for the sake of something larger, I believe is a incredible reflection of the way that you live Let's continue on with the idea to understand that, that Paul goes on to, to challenge us even further. Look at this beginning in verse six. Obey them, talking about your masters, your employers. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. We don't have the luxury in our life if we are in an honest pursuit of a relationship with God. To divide our lives into the sacred, which is what we do when we're at church or when we're in a Bible study or a life group or serving in some outreach event. We don't have the opportunity to, to kind of designate those moments as sacred and take our work lives and the other parts of our lives that don't necessarily have direct relationship to church or some ministry event as something that's secular. We can't divide our lives into the sacred and the secular and say, well, I'll give that part to God and I'll keep this part for myself. 
Because when you do that, what you find is that over here on the job and in my hobbies and in my spare time, in my home, what I do is I begin to live out things that do not at all reflect the nature of Christ that I say I'm about over here in my church activities on Sunday mornings, in my life groups, in my outreach events. And so over here, I'm like, hey, I'm pursuing God. I'm attempting to figure out what it means to love and honor God with my heart and my life. And so I'm about those things. Until the service is over, until the group gets done, until the outreach is over. And then I'm on my time. I clock out over here and now I'm on the clock on my time and I get to do whatever I want. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. And what we find is that there's a piece of us over here that isn't true to what we've said we're about over here. And so when Paul is talking here about the idea of don't obey them only to win their favor when their eye is on you. He's talking about this dualistic approach of I'm going to do one thing when someone's watching and something else when no one is. There's the idea here of a lack of integrity. If I only do things when I think people's eyes are on me, then I'm putting on a show for them. I'm putting on a facade, something out front where they see that, they respond to that, they think there's something about that that reflects who I really am. But in all honesty, all I'm doing is putting something out front for them to see and hopefully affirm in me. And some of us are very, very good at that. Because when the eyes are on us, when the lights are on, we can display some of the most unbelievable humility and authenticity and honesty and honest pursuit of God. We worship with our hands lifted and our eyes closed. But if someone were to really show what's going on in our heart, we're living in this place over here that says, yeah, but I've got some things that don't reflect that and I'm not ready to give them up. So in our jobs with our bosses, our supervisors, in other areas of our lives... We obey them. We do what's required of us, what we think we're responsible to do when the eyes are on us, thinking that it will give us favor. But really what we're showing is that there's no purity in our heart. That There's a lack of integrity. I am not a jeweler per se. I don't buy a lot of jewelry. Okay. Um, I look funny when I wear it. Uh, you know, all the best for my wife, right? I, I high dollar stuff for sure. But I'm told that some of you probably bought things that weren't pure. Like you thought it was because it shined really nice on the outside. But when you got it on over time or pressure or un, you know, realistic or ideal circumstances, what was on the inside began to come out to the outside and actually showed what the true measure of that piece was. And so there's maybe this shiny exterior that we look at and we go, man, I've got to have that. I want that. I want them to wear that. I want to wear that. I want to see that on me or them. But again, over time or a certain pressure situation or when certain elements come against that piece of jewelry, the cheaper material on the inside wears through the shine and you see what the true value is. I'm afraid for some of us that what Paul is challenging us to is that we have become really good at shining up really nice, reflecting something that looks like it is extremely valuable and and, and an asset to our company. And man, we're a hard worker and we're an honest person because we always shine right when the light hits us. But let me just warn you today. 
Let me warn all of us. I'm just as susceptible to this. That if the inside of us doesn't reflect that same pursuit, that same desire, if the inside of us, if our hearts are not after the same thing and want to reflect the same thing, then at some point, with the right amount of time, the right amount of pressure, or the perfect concoction of elements coming against us, what's on the inside that we think no one will ever see will find its way to the surface and will be found out. Jesus talked about this idea of being something in front of people and something different behind closed doors in Matthew chapter 6. This was really his first sermon when he was teaching people how to pray. Taught them how to pray and how to fast. And he was teaching them really some foundational truths about a relationship with the Father. And this is what he said in Matthew chapter 6. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul references the idea of reward in his passage in Ephesians 6, because he said, because you know, beginning in verse 8, this is not on the screen, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. What Paul's saying, what I believe Jesus is saying, is if you are doing things only for the admiration of those around you, you're getting your reward. You get a pat on the back, You get an attaboy, way to go, way to work hard. You've got all there is. That's all you're going to get for that. But if it's really about your heart, if it's really about you pursuing what is right, if your prayer life and your worship life is not just what we see on Sunday, but it's truly what you're doing Monday through Saturday, praying in your car, praying in your house, praying somewhere that you've set aside that this is where I spend time with God, reading his word, pursuing his truth, and trying to figure out how to apply it to your life, guess what? You're working on the inside that we don't even see, but it's reflecting and and changing the nature of who you are so that it reflects more the nature of Christ. That's an important truth for us to understand. Because as employees, we have to understand that it's not so much about what we put out for others to see, but it really needs to be about what's on the inside. Why? Because the way that we work especially when no one's looking, reflects the way that we live. Verse 7 says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. See, what you have come to believe is that it's just a job. You and I have come to believe that what we do on our job is just a job. It's just for a paycheck. It's just so we can make a widget. It's just so we can file some papers. It's just so we can stay busy and and earn the money that they've said we can have if we stay there all day long. But what we have to understand is it's not just a job. It's work as unto the Lord. So let's turn for a minute now to the bosses. The employers, those that supervise, if you're in the room and you oversee even one person, one other person, they're accountable to you, they look to you for direction or guidance, or they they submit their finished products or the progress of their work to you so that you can see it, Paul addresses you as well. Verse 9 says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. 
Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no favoritism with him. So we, we understand right here. I mean, I set it up by talking about the idea of slaves to Caesar. But, but this verse here just abolishes all of our understandings about modern day slavery anyway. Because Paul's saying, listen, masters, treat your slaves the same way. In what way? In a fair way. Treat them in a fair and right way as unto God. So this is not, hey, I've, I'm a master to slaves that are going to serve me and I'm going to keep them down and, and push them down and not give them what's right and not compensate them fairly and ask them to do things I wouldn't do myself. No, no, no. Paul says, listen, you've got to treat them the same way I'm admonishing them to treat their work, to do it as unto the Lord, to see it as a wholehearted service unto God, to be slaves to Christ. Why? Because the way that we work reflects the way that we live. And if you're a boss who is constantly putting people down that work under you, if you're a person that's constantly looking for ways to manipulate them to get something done that you wouldn't do yourself, if you're constantly pointing at people and finding faults in them and finding ways to keep them down and to beat them down, I would say that's not just a job issue. I would say that probably reflects a larger heart issue about the way that you treat the grace of Christ that you say that you've received from Him and are responsible to extend to others. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be about finishing the work. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be about discipline when it's required for those that serve with or serve under you to make sure that the job is done right because you're being held accountable by someone as well, and we know that. But it is the idea that as I want to be treated, I treat Others, I'm teaching my kids this, but sometimes in the business setting, we think that that's not a part of the sacred pursuit of God. It's a part of the secular life that I have that's not attached at all to my pursuit of God. And so I can treat people any way I want to treat them. I'm I'm the boss. I'm the head. I'm I'm responsible. The buck stops with me. So I'll do whatever I got to do to get it finished and get it done fast. No, the way that I want to be led is the way that I need to lead. How I want to be held accountable is the way that I should hold others accountable. The way that I want to be affirmed is the way that I need to call out the greatness in others. Why? Because the way that I work reflects the way that I live. These are not just job issues. They are life issues. They are heart issues. The way that I work on my job, in whatever endeavor I put my hands to, I've been using it as a definitive statement, but the question for all of us today is, does that reflect the heart that I say in this room is about a passionate, pure pursuit Of the development of Christ's nature in me. We've been talking a lot about Christ's nature over the last five or six weeks. We started several weeks ago talking about the idea that there are habits that hurt us. There are things that we do with our lives that don't reflect the nature of Christ. And so we must address the heart. And we talked about the idea that some of us are attempting to quit the habits on the external of our lives without ever dealing with the internal. It's the same principle here. I'm not saying that tomorrow you show up at work and you be like the most cheerful person ever if you're normally grumpy. I mean, that'd be a good start. 
But your coworkers are probably going to think there's something lingering from your, your weekend that's still in your system, right? So here's what I'm saying. Don't just start working on the external. Make a commitment today that there's something going on inside of my life that I need to address so that my work reflects the work of God in me. We talked about our marriages, our relationships with others. And we talked about the idea that if wives are supposed to submit to their husbands and husbands are supposed to love and, and admire and respect their wives, if that's what this, is, this looks like, this idea of Jesus loving the church and the church loving Christ in return, then before I ever get there, I've got to be willing to submit myself to someone else. I got to be willing to defer to them. And we talked to, to those of us in the room that weren't married to say, listen, if you have trouble with this, work on this now before you ever stand in front of family and friends and say, I do, because you'll be in for a lot of trouble. Pastor Mark was here last week to talk to us about parenting. And he talked to us exactly what we modeled this morning with these baby dedications to say that our children are a gift from God given to us to allow us to steward them. So that the work of God in us is modeled for them. So that at some point we release them back to him for his great service. Your job is not just your job. Your marriage is not just your marriage. Your kids are not just your kids. Every piece of that fits into the patchwork of our lives and our hearts to say that my life, if we're honest, if we truly are pursuing this, my life is about the nature of Christ being reflected in me. And so I want the way that I work to reflect the way that I live. I'll tell you a story about a guy that I know. He was, um, really pursuing the father's business. I mean, he was about whatever God was for, and he really lived that out, it appeared to be. But he worked at a furniture store. And a guy came in one day, I, I, this is the story I heard, a guy came in one day and said, hey, I want, a, I want a new table, a brand new, just awesome kind of farm table for my wife for our anniversary, which is coming up in about three weeks. They looked around, they didn't have anything. And the guy in the store that, that, that I know, he, he said, I'll make it for you. He showed him some pictures and some things. He said, I can make this. I'll make it for you. And, and your anniversary's in three weeks. I'll have it done in two weeks. I'll make the table, all the chairs. You come back in a couple weeks. Make sure it's, we're headed in the right direction. Then I'll finish the project. I'll deliver it and you'll have it in plenty of time to celebrate your anniversary. Guy said, that's awesome. He said, what's it going to cost me? He said, I don't know. Let me, let me check on the supplies. Let me see how much the materials cost and I'll let you know. A couple days went by. That guy had not heard from the guy from the furniture store. He didn't know how much it was going to cost, but he assumed everything's still working. So he goes back the next week. He says, hey, just checking to make sure we're still on track. He was like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm working on that. I've been looking at some plans. He was like, well, how much is it going to cost me? He says, well, I don't really know. I've got some supply costs, but I don't have all of them. Let me work on it. I'll get back to you. But I, I'm telling you, by this time next week, I'll have the table done. He says, all right, great. Guy goes back home. Comes back the next week and... He says, hey, I, you know, I'm just checking to make sure. He said, yeah, absolutely, man. I got, I got into it. We're ready. I've been working on it. Let me show you what we've got. He showed him a couple of the chairs, and they weren't exactly what the guy was looking for, but, you know, they, they worked, and people could sit in them, and they were kind of even, so he figured he could make that work. And 
He saw what he thought was the beginning of the table over in the corner. And so he, he says, okay, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what we're going for. And he says, well, how much is all this going to cost? He said, well, I think I've got a great price on all the materials. You know, some of it's going to cost X amount of dollars. And I'm not sure about all the labor costs, but you come back in three days and I'll be done. Guy comes back three days later. He sees that all of the chairs are done, but the table's still sitting in the corner. Guy says, man, I got busy. It's been crazy. I'm so sorry we had a rush and, and some of our guys got sick. And so I've been working. I'm telling you, I will, I'll stay awake for the next three days if I've got to, because I want this done by Saturday for your anniversary. So he comes back on Saturday and the table's kind of ready. It looks like he's just finished it in the last 10 minutes. Guy loads it up in his truck, breaks one of the legs off. Throws the chairs in there. They get to the house. He sets it up, kind of props the leg on, tells him, says, you present this to your wife and I'll come back tonight after she goes to bed and finish this. He says, well, how much is it going to cost me? He hands him the bill and it's way more than the guy wanted to pay. It was a lot more than he could have just ordered something online. He says, well, I mean, the project's finished. I guess I got to pay it. And he pays it. And in his mind, he's thinking, I will never buy another thing from that guy. A couple weeks later, he happened to be kind of driving down the road. And he sees that guy that's worked in the furniture store standing on the street corner, talking to a group of people and saying, hey, listen, I'm the son of God. Now, that didn't really happen. But imagine, if you will, that Jesus, who we read about his ministry in the four Gospels, was a terrible carpenter who never ever kept his word who never ever did the work that was asked of him who charged people way more than they wanted to pay and then there comes a moment in his life when he's ready to stand and declare the truths about his father would anyone have listened i would say no i would say his reputation as a dishonest unfaithful carpenter would have skewed any influence that he would have been able to have. Now, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that the savior that we read about, the proclaimer of the good news of the father, evidently was as faithful as he could be. I don't want to read too much into scripture, but I do understand that Other than the difficulties people had in understanding this idea, there was nothing about the life of Jesus that made it difficult for them to believe what he was proclaiming. I'm going to ask Justin to come. Now, that's a far-fetched story. And you may not be a carpenter. But there is a greater calling on your life than whatever you do Monday to Friday. There's more that your life should reflect than whatever you create on your job and the papers that you process across your desk, the efforts that you give in your cubicle, the laundry that you do at your house. There's more to your life than that. And my prayer for you is that your inability to work in ways that honor God would not keep you from living lives that others see that honors God. I pray for you that your work and the way you work reflects the way you live. Beyond that, what we just referenced, I pray that your marriage 
reflects the way that you live. Your dealings with your spouse reflects the way that you live. Your dealings with your children reflects the way you live in your heart. The way that you are on your job reflects the way that you live. There is no such thing as sacred and secular. There's your life. And you have the opportunity to pursue God with that life. The Bible tells us that God jealously desires the spirit that he placed inside of you. God is pursuing you. And my hope is that our pursuit of him is not some half-hearted effort that only happens between 1030 and 1140-ish on Sundays. That our pursuit of Christ seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. That the way that we work reflects the way that we live. The way that we love reflects the way that we live. The way that we parent reflects the way that we live. That what people see on the outside of me reflects what's going on on the inside of me. That's my prayer. That's my hope. Is that our gatherings here are not just about feeling good that we showed up. But that our gatherings here are about God's continuing work in our hearts so that when we leave this place, we put Him on display for all to see. Not just by uplifted hands and the words that we speak, but by the hearts that drive everything that we do. And I pray that today, when you get home, your family sees that. And tomorrow when you get in your car and you wrestle with traffic and you think no one sees it, that it reflects that. You get to your job and you sit down at your desk that the first thing that you do is you say, God, today, would you let the way that I work reflect the way that I live? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that your word speaks to issues of truth and life. That your word is not just about these obscure truths or these obscure things that have no relationship to how we live every day. But that God, your your word speaks to marriage. That your word speaks to habits. That your word speaks to parenting. That your word speaks to our work lives. And so my prayer today, God, is that you would help your nature to continue to be shaped inside of us. That the external displays of who we are would reflect an internal work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. That God, in our homes and on our jobs and everywhere in between, that we reflect your nature more, or at least as much, as we attempt to show in this room. God, do the work in us. Continue to shape and mold us. God, let the way we work reflect the way that we live. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask for just a moment here. Decided to do this like right before the service started, but I just felt the Lord just kind of leading us in this direction. If you would say to me today, you know, Jeremy, this sounds great. And, and man, I, I identify with some of those things on my job or in my home or the, my relationship with my kids. Or, and, and yeah, there's some external things that I got to work on, but I really need a heart work today. I need God to, to deal with the inside of me. I want the inside of me to be reflected in every area of my life. And so I need God to do the work. If today you would say, Jeremy, I, maybe for the first time or the first time in a while, I need God to not just save me from sin, but to come into my life as the Lord of my life, to lead and guide and direct the way that I live every day. If that's you, would you lift your hand? And put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you. And put it right back down. We're going to pray together in just a moment. And we're going to ask God the Father to do the work in your heart. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to die on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, but also to show us what a life fully submitted to the Father really looked like. God, I pray right now for these hands that have been raised. May they reflect a heart that is submitting to you. God, would you help them to see you at work in their lives. Don't let them feel like this is some, I just raised my hand and nothing else happened, nothing else changed, but God, would you begin to work right now inside of them? God, that this would reflect the work of you in their lives, your spirit in their heart, and not just some attempt to change some external behavior. God, I pray today that every one of us in this room, even those of us that didn't raise our hand, God, that our lives would reflect your work inside of us. And that God, when we work, we put our hands to something larger than us. That the way that we work reflects, reflects the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.